Hi, Emily. Well, hello, Jennifer. So, it is March. Uh, yes, it is March. Just confirming in my brain. It is March in the time <laughs> that we're recording this. <laughs> it is March? Yes, it is March. <laughs> we, have, we have also gotten past the Ides of March, so... Yeah, did you get stabbed, or did you do the stabbing this year? Uh, you know, not... I didn't do either. Um, you know, there's just a whole lot of pandemic still going on, so... Yeah, I I did postpone my, uh, Ides of March stabbing because of the pandemic. But, you know, hopefully we'll all be vaccinated and we can get back to our traditional Ides of March celebration by killing tyrants. Which will be followed, uh, by St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) (laughs) The celebration of, well, yeah, snakes, tyrants, tomato, tomato. (laughs) So, um, we were just talking about how, uh... You're living your best Maryland life, but nothing has really changed. <laughs> yep. I still get dressed only about two or three times a week, and I still have the same job. So, yeah, it's basically the same. And and the pets, from what I've seen during our short FaceTime video, they seem to be doing good. No one's starting a rebellion or anything. No. In fact, my oldest cat, the sassiest cat, Rue uh, fucking loves it here. It's full of the apartment is very sunny and her brothers like to hang out in a different room. So she's just like really loving it. Cat paradise. Yeah. Cat demon paradise for sure. Um, so how familiar are you with race car driving? <laughs> race car driving? Yes. <laughs> Wow, of all the ways that that sentence would end, I did not expect it to end with race car driving. Um, Very little. Uh, I know that they go in an elliptical fashion, not a real circle. And the, the, you know, NASCAR races are like, um, they go like around 100,000 times. And it came out of bootlegging. And that's about it. Fair enough. Um... So, I live very close to Circuits of America, which is a race car track here in Austin. And um, they do all kinds of cool, all kinds of cool things over there. Um, One of the more recent things is that on Tuesday evenings, you can get your bike. And along with a bunch of other people who are socially distancing, ride your bike around the the race car track. (laughs) Oh, that's fun. Um, and the other thing that they, they have done recently is that they are helping with vaccine efforts here in Austin, and they have a drive through coronavirus vaccine Ides of March stabbing. Uh, oh, that's a great place to do that. I know. How, how, what a great idea. Like, no other place is more suited for a drive through vaccine delivery system than a a speed track yeah speed track that's awesome (laughs) so um for those of you who live near speedways and motorways and other forms of racetracks they're not just for race car driving they're for evening bike rides and uh vaccination drive-thrus yeah no kidding but on that note welcome to all things terror (laughs) <laughs> I'm Emily. And I'm Jennifer. And this is a uh, 
weekly during our season, a podcast where we bring you terrifying true tales from science, history, true crime, and throughout the known universe. And for once, not from our personal lives. For once, I know. Uh, nothing has fallen out of our butts or anything. Great. <laughs> well, I I didn't bring up race car driving just because I had a random fact of the day thing floating around in my head. You're welcome, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified of driving, and for a long time, I wouldn't even drive, and for even longer time, I would not put my wheels on a highway. Terrified. Um, but I did grow up in North Carolina and in uh, various other parts of the South and Midwest, but primarily in the South. And um, can you tell me, Emily, what sport might be very important to Southern culture that I grew up in? Well, I will say, first of all, that from where I lived in the South, if I don't say this first, everyone who I knew will hunt me down and murder me. It will be a real Ides of March situation. Uh, so I have to start with SEC football, but I assume you are probably setting us up to talk about NASCAR? NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> we, ha- we had two things uh, in North Carolina, NASCAR and basketball. <laughs> NASCAR and basketball. I mean, what more do you need? And, and shooting your guns at hurricanes. And specifically, um, ACC, because, you know, NBA, whatever. But uh, you already basically had a faction in North Carolina. And it said a lot about who you were, whether you rooted for uh, Duke or Chapel Hill. <laughs> so uh, that's that. that is... That is a um, a conversation rife with nuance and strong feelings, uh, just in the way that the type of barbecue that you like in North Carolina is rife with nuance and strong feelings. I can't believe you would bring up the word barbecue, because I grew up in the West where that word is a verb, which I know is sacrilege, to a good chunk of the country. And the many different types of barbecue and what is considered barbecue or not, also as a vegetarian, uh, frightens me a little bit to use that word. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's just, you know, regardless of who you are, if you grow up in an area, you're going to absorb part of the dominant culture that's there. And NASCAR and barbecue... And ACZ basketball is one of those things that I grew up around a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I actually have been to uh, a Daytona 500. Uh, even Was it fun? It was boring. <laughs> <laughs> I um, feel like there's a bit on, I want to say it's Malcolm in the Middle, where they go to a race. And the first lap, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like... And now we're on lap 38 or whatever. And they're just like, oh my God, it's still happening. <laughs> it is a lot like that. I mean, it is. So um, I was in, I was very young and I had, I was on vacation. I did like Dayton, Daytona Beach a couple times because we had family there. But then to add to that, um, 
someone made the decision that taking a small child to a Daytona 500 race would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, These races are, like, all fucking day long, and it's pretty boring. Like, it is just cars going around in a fucking circle, and it's expensive, so, like, you know, once you eat your hot dog, it's not like you can get 20 hot dogs. Like, that's it. You get, like, that hot dog, and then maybe, like, someone's leftover chips or something, but... Right. You know, all the adults there, they're spending it on uh, getting drunk because sitting and watching the whole Daytona 500 is boring. <laughs> it's so boring. Yeah, I was going to say this sounds like uh, all my experiences with big like sports cultures where I'm like, what? This is all about getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it is. A lot of it is about getting drunk um you know which i will be the first to say there's something very satisfying about going out and seeing a baseball game and paying for overpriced beer um i went to the stadium all the time in el paso that was a lot of fun and a couple i I used to go see the bats and also so it was the greensboro bats and then they became the greensboro grasshoppers don't ask. Bats was way cooler, but Bats was way cooler. I in uh I went to see a game. I had a similar experience. I saw a game in El Paso and it was the El Paso Chihuahuas versus the Albuquerque Isotopes, which are named such after a Simpsons joke. And it was the same <laughs> thing, like sitting outside, nominally having something to participate in, drinking beer. It was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh baseball games, but not so much day two and a five hundred, not my thing. But uh, if I were, so, South is a very, uh, food-oriented culture, like, if you visit somebody, there's going to be food available, if they don't have food ready for you, they don't like you, <laughs> if you attend an event that's going to be an hour or longer, there will be food, and that also means, like, sometimes evening classes, or just, like, a local library thing, food is a big deal, so... On top of this, it is also a, um, it's sort of a, a gatherer at people, you know how people talk about, like, watching the football game kind of culture, mm-hmm. where everybody, like, goes over to everybody's houses with snacks and they watch the game? Well, there's that too, except with NASCAR. <laughs> so, I have, I have watched a lot of NASCAR. Um, I have watched a lot of indie, and I have watched a lot of... Daytona 500. I have seen more Winston Cup races than I would really ever want to in my entire lifetime, but, you know, you go over to a friend's house, happens to be on a Sunday or something like that, and NASCAR is on, you're gonna get exposed to it. (laughs) So, I want to talk about, all this is a long, long build-up to, let's talk about why race car driving is fucking terrifying. I feel like this is going to be bringing up The Simpsons again, a uh, a Mod Todd Rod and Flanders uh, reference. <laughs> I, or I'll, Mod R.I.P. I will I will let you do the Simpsoning. Um. <laughs> I I don't know why I am like the least Simpsons fanatic. I caught a few uh, episodes 
growing up as a youth, but the one that I remember for reasons that I have no idea why uh, is that in the beginning, uh, The Simpsons' neighbor, Ned Flanders, has a wife, Maud, and she dies at like a NASCAR situation because a tire flies off and hits her in the face. You have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea how close to reality that is. Maud Simpson, you're a prophet. <laughs> so, um, motor racing has been around for a long, long, long time. And I, I want to start with, like, serious, uh, obvious... Uh, non-fatal injuries one might get from race car driving and I'm gonna I'm gonna state these you'll be like ah yeah that's kind of obvious I could have guessed that so uh obviously brain injuries the crashes from crashes but (laughs) annually between 1990 and 2002 according to the charlotte observer 200 drivers and spectators suffered some type of traumatic injury to the brain (laughs) what spectators i will get there so (laughs) um not fatal but brain injury now what do we mean by traumatic brain injury so something that affects your ability to think and reason can cause personality changes give you headaches affect your balance uh causes dizziness vision problems chronic pain depression uh mania ptsd anxiety and sexual dysfunction Mm, yeah it's not great uh loss of limbs and eyes People have lost these things during race car driving events. There are uh, sometimes a period of loss of function. So that means like something is affected that you can't use. So like maybe for a year and a half, you can't use your left arm for whatever reason. And then suddenly you can use again. No big deal. Mm. Uh, Chronic pain. Um, Obviously a whole bunch of broken things tendinitis, all kinds of different muscle strain injuries, especially for race car drivers. Um, So these are just sort of the common injuries that one as a spectator, sometimes a spectator, and one as a race car driver can get during the sport. But some of the ones that are a little more interesting uh, that specifically apply to race car drivers is carbon monoxide poisoning oh my gosh yeah you sit in that car long enough and if the exhaust isn't doing what it's supposed to carbon monoxide poisoning (laughs) Ooh, that would be terrible i've uh i've seen that that could cause hallucinations which would be terrible if you're in a car and then all of a sudden you're like oh i better make a sharp (laughs) u-turn to avoid godzilla (laughs) right (laughs) Um, also, blood clots, because you're sitting for a sustained period of time in exactly the same position in cramped quarters. This can cause blood clots. Do you know about a specific type of blood clot, Emily, that is very terrifying? Is it an aneurysm? Well, there's aneurysms and starts with deep. 
Oh, deep vein thrombosis. And what's terrifying about deep vein thrombosis? It's just like, it just happens, and then it goes into your head and kills you. Yes. So, blood clots, no laughing matter. And uh, drivers are at serious risk for these because they are in, they, so think about the amount of time that goes into practice, qualifying, actually racing, um, you know, it's not quote, just a young person sport, you have all kinds of age ranges in there, which also uh, increases risk for blood clots. So. Yeah. Well, and also I was thinking like, okay, but like long haul truckers, but like they can like move around and wiggle and, but when you're NASCAR racing or whatever, you're like really strapped in there. Mm-hmm. For the duration of the race. Yeah. Ugh. Um, bone bruising, which... I I guess, theoretically, I understood was a thing, but never really took the moment to be like, oh, bro- bone bruising is a real thing that can happen to a human body. Oh, that sounds painful. And concussions. And I throw concussions on this list because, like, um, you know, it's just like the dangers of playing football. Like, concussions aren't, you know, just you get over it and things are okay. Like, repeated concussions cause real problems for people over time. Yeah, concussions are no joke. So, put aside uh, the fact that, you know, you can and might and probably will sustain these injuries at some point as a race car driver, sometimes a spectator. Um, and these are all non, you know, non-fatal injuries. We have, you know, obvious fatal injuries people dying as race car drivers so um in nascar just nascar so i'm not talking about all the different factions of race car driving um for those of you who did grow up watching racing you know exactly what i'm talking about if you didn't (laughs) grow up watching racing get on the internet because i don't have that much breath inside of my lungs nor the patience to delineate every type of racing every series cup and all the qualifications and cars for that (laughs) not gonna do it so nascar um since 1947 32 uh, drivers have died during racing qualifying for a race practice and testing like car testing track testing that kind of thing oh interesting so think about track testing there is a real risk of death as a as a driver. Um, but then on top of that, there are very deadly race car tracks. And one of the noted notably most deadly race car tracks is the Isle of Man TT. And between 1907 and 2000... Wait, 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 wait. Did you say it's the Isle of Man Titty? Isle of Man TT. Two letter T's. Okay, so it is the Isle of Man Titty. The yes. Isle of Man Titty. The Isle of Man Titty. <laughs> uh, between 1907 and 2009, 237 drivers have died. Holy shit. On that racetrack. And what's crazy is it's not even really <laughs> a racetrack. It's just sort of like a modification of these like hilly public country roads on the Isle of Man. Mm. So you're essentially, like, off-roading, but make it race. Yes. Oh, um, that does sound very dangerous. And there's, you know, that's not the, like, Isle of Man, crazy. Just, like, 
reading about that was nuts. But then there is the, uh, in Senegal, <laughs> uh, and I guess like, so it's called the Dakar Rally, and it was, uh, from like 19, hold on. Yeah, from 1978, 2009, uh, it was in Senegal, but, um, I guess it has moved to South America uh, for security reasons, but you'll understand why. So in this this rally or this racetrack, um, the drivers are driving um, for over, like, anywhere between five, 500 miles or more on, on it during the race day for the event. So 500 miles in a day is really crazy impressive and yeah, how long does that take <laughs> i'm 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 not sure because i guess like the rally has like depending on where it actually is taking place and what type of race it is has different lengths of time but you know a good example is like um in this 500 miles these people are driving through really really unforgiving like dangerous terrain through these different type of climates <laughs> yeah that in, in the area and uh and so there's this guy named Mark Thatcher in 1982 who competed in the race and he just went missing for 6 days during the race they eventually <laughs> found him but he just disappeared for 6 days like doing this this rally <laughs> So he, they're like, "Where'd you go?" He's like, "I don't know." <laughs> Somewhere, I guess. <laughs> and then I came back. I just blacked out. <laughs> right. He's like, "Anyway, uh, did I win?" <laughs> <laughs> There's also um, a off-roading race called the Rainforest Challenge, and uh, competitors uh, basically drive through these different. Um, rainforests in Malaysia uh, and go through different types of like crazy waterway crosses um, and you know these are like those big like jeep crawler things but you know there's just these really difficult challenges and obstacles are not planned or created they're like obstacles that are naturally there and they're just like yeah this is part of the track fucking figure it out right that makes NASCAR seem really boring sorry nascar but my god throw in some water features for the cars to have to get over why don't you <laughs> right super super tame <laughs> super tame yeah seriously um so i was gonna say the isle of man one just because i got distracted by calling it the isle of man titty is <laughs> tt stands for tourist trophy but yeah isle of man titty is way more interesting yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, so I forget, um, I forget the name of the racetrack, but there's this one racetrack uh, that is crazy, crazy dangerous. Not because of the track itself, but because people who race it have experienced kidnapping, being held up by gunpoint. <laughs> Basically, people who are just like, we're going to pirate <laughs> this race. <laughs> the the spectators and the people in the area are more dangerous than the actual racetrack. So, oh my god, that's hilarious. So, recapping, um, 
generally, uh, lots of injuries you can sustain during race car driving. Two, really dangerous racetracks. Three, um, the cars your are fans. <laughs> the, <laughs> your fans. Uh, but but also your car is dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. A lot of improvements have been made over time, but uh, you know we you know we're we're in twenty twenty one. We think of race cars as like really sophisticated piece of technology, and it is. And there's a lot of um, things set up inside the car for safety, but that wasn't always true. And I. And this does also go into a little bit about the racetracks. Um, racetracks used to be the Wild West. And I'm going to talk about some very significant events um, that point to both the car and the racetrack being dangerous. So the first one that I'm going to talk about is the story of Pierre LeVay. Um, and this took place in June 11, 1955. I'm already scared. This feels like before seatbelts were required to be in cars. <laughs> uh, you know, your instincts aren't wrong. Um, <laughs> so there were about over 200,000 spectators who came to this event. It was the 24-hour race at Le Mans. So uh, for those of you who haven't caught on, we're... We're, in, we're talking about French stuff right now. Uh-oh. And it was a very, very exciting race. There were some A-listers that were going to be at this race. So we had one uh, Manuel Fangio. We had Sterling Moss, Mike Hawthorne, Peter Collins. Um, these names probably don't mean anything to anyone other than race car history buffs. But, you know, these are... These are A-list names. You know, it would just be like hanging out and, uh, you know, coming across um, Beyonce. You know, be like, oh, Beyonce is racing. <laughs> the, uh, the Dale Earnhardt's of the day. And this was uh, also a very exciting race because of the cars. So there were Aston Martins, uh, Ferraris, Jaguars, Porsches. And a really cool type of Mercedes-Benz that Pierre LeVay was racing in. So, here's some track details about the Le Mans. The track was only 35 feet across. Well, Jennifer, what, what, what the fuck does that even mean? Well, in comparison, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, one of the most, you know, renowned speedways here, um, is... Anywhere between 100 and 150 feet wide in specific areas. I mean, 35 feet is like... Not very wide, right? (laughs) Two parking spaces, maybe? (laughs) That feels super narrow. Yeah, very... Like, you're going to be scraping all along a car if you're passing somebody. (laughs) Very, very narrow track. Uh, On top of that... So, do you know what a pit is? It's like where they pull off and get the little maintenance, right? Right. So, uh, you know, fast forward to 2021, there's a pit lane and there are pit lines. And that pit is completely separate from the track. Like, you can drive on and off of it, but it's not part of the track, right? 
the pit on the straight for those of you who don't know what we're talking about a straight is literally the straight part of the track oh gotcha (laughs) (laughs) but it is it so the pits were directly on the straight they were part of the track so if you so on this 30 foot wide space if you needed to turn off on the pit (laughs) you're you're still going to be on the track This is, like, a very frightening, like, someone's like, hey, can I pay you $20 to be my pit crew? And you're like, hell yeah. And then you see this, and you're like, oh, God, not enough. That was not <laughs> enough. I should have negotiated my salary. On on top of this, uh, so people who are watching the race were all the way up to the edge of the track. So, um, and you'll, you can actually see this in a lot of old racing videos there was a time where people could stand right up to the track and really the only thing separating them and the cars was like bales of straw or like some sort of like mound of dirt or like god the past was wild yeah (laughs) something separating them and uh, at the time like the top speeds for this race you're looking at about 125 to 185 miles per hour so, let's talk about what happened in June. Um, this is a 24-hour race, and uh, basically two and a half hours after the start of the race, some shit went down. Hawthorne, remember, he was one of our, uh, our A-listers, Mike Hawthorne. Uh, he was driving a Jaguar, and he was in lead. He came up the straight on this 35 foot wide straight to pass Lance uh, Macklin, who was driving in Austin Healy. Um, But as Hawthorne was passing Lance, so he passes him, he missed his mechanics flagging him for a pit stop to do like a refuel and some basic shit. So what does Hawthorne do? Does he continue straight? Of course he does. And then that's the end of the story. Next one. Um, no. Hawthorne slams on his brakes. What? Which no. are disc brakes. And this is important because de- disc brakes or, or air brakes, it's a new type of brake mechanism that they're a little more sensitive and a little more reactive. So slams on these brakes and then moves to the right very abruptly because he needs to do his refuel on the pit, which is also the track. On something that's 35 oh feet wide. <laughs> Macklin, of course, surprised by this, is like, ah, shit! He breaks, and he has drum brakes. And drum brakes are a little slower. They're not reactive. It's like, it's an older type of brake. It's not, you know, the new fancy disc brakes. So he swerves to the left uh, because Hawthorne is slowing down faster, and he's in front of him. Macklin hits his brakes and swerves to the left to avoid hitting Hawthorne and his Jaguar. As a consequence of this, Fangio, by the way, he's in second place. And Macklin's, like, way behind them. He's not, you know, he's, like, the last car at the end. <laughs> so Fangio, again, one of our a- uh, A-listers, Juan, Manuel, uh, Juan Manuel Fangio, he's in second place. He's about two, uh, mm, 650 feet behind Hawthorne. Um, he, he's in this little 
sandwich, along with LaVey, who is just a little bit in front of Fangio. LaVey was not going to be able to slow down and was also not going to be able to avoid hitting Macklin. So what happens is that uh, LaVey hits Macklin from behind, going 149 miles per hour. And instead of just smashing into Macklin and this just being, you know, a collision. And by the way, LaVey yeah. is driving a Mercedes-Benz. What happens is that the right wheel of the Mercedes, uh, of LaVey's vehicle, rides up Macklin's car and launches the Mercedes into the air. Oh my god. <laughs> it crashes into the embankment and explodes. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking, like, this is back when cars were, like, exploding. Fucking heavy. Yeah. So here's the thing about. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is so fucked. So the embankment that he hits, it's on the spectator side. LeVay, who is uh -oh. 49 at the time, is thrown from the car and dies instantly. The car, uh, when it crashes into the embankment and explodes, actually gets broken up into three main pieces um, and several other like smaller debris pieces. The hood actually starts spinning around. It kind of becomes a frisbee and ends up decapitating. Uh, I couldn't get an exact number. Um, different reports said several dozen, several people... Lots what? of people, but more. What I know for a fact is more decapitates more than a dozen people. Whoa! First of all, I thought you were gonna say like three, and that was already buck wild. But decapitates several dozen people. Oh my god! <gasps> From a spinning car hood. What mm -hmm. the? F oh, I need a minute to process. Oh my god! That is horrifying. That is the craziest thing I have ever heard. Several other people were killed by the explosion, and many more killed by the other pieces of the car that just plowed into them. Oh my god. But we're not done yet. The fuel... So, the car design is really important here, because the Mercedes-Benz was that uh, LeVay was driving was really a new type of model um it had i think it was called a electron it was an electron body it's supposed to be a lighter body car and it's com and it's uh the composition of that is is like a high amount of magnesium it had you know these newer brakes um lots of cool new features but we'll talk about why all this is important um the fuel in the car raised the heat level of the chasis and that, in turn, caused the magnesium in the car to explode. Which is oh. why we had that fireball and the car exploded, right? But okay, yeah. this is where it's really fucking fantastic and everyone really did a good job on that day. Um, the firefighters put water on the car in the fiery bits of debris. Does anyone know what happens oh, no. when water and magnesium come in contact with each other? See, even if you got a shit education like I did, one day the chemistry or 
science teachers, as I never took chemistry, but this still happened, put a tiny bit of magnesium in water to get kids to pay attention, and it fucking explodes. It equals more fire. (laughs) So the firefighters tried to put out the fiery burning car and car bits that were made of magnesium with water tried to put it out can you imagine being the firefighter where you're just like oh this will take care of it lads and you put it on there and you're like what in the actual devil fuck is happening (laughs) like how would they know that there was magnesium in the body of the car oh my god the fire burned for hours yeah holy shit that is terrible luck so um pierre levade died 83 spectators were killed. Oh, Jesus. I thought that number would be way higher. I'm not going to lie. And 120 were injured. Now, these are what the official numbers are, but like most giant catastrophes, some people argue that the death toll is actually higher, but this is the official numbers, and here on All Things Terror... We speculate, but we also tell you the real numbers so that the speculation is much more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, it gets better. So, this is a 24-hour race, two and a half hours in. One of the most deadly uh, race accidents that could happen happened. Um, It's only two hours in? Oh my god. Two and a half hours in. A bunch of people have been decapitated. A bunch of people were wiped out by a car or an explosion or fiery bits. All kinds of things. Um, So, obviously, they had to stop the race. No, they didn't. The race organizers continued the race! They continued (laughs) it! The race went on! (laughs) It went on! Oh my god. Well, I was like... If it's only two hours in, are other cars gonna come up behind them? This was this was their logic. They said they wanted to keep the spectators from clogging up the roads if they ended the race, which what? would cause um, the emergency responders' efforts to evacuate uh, victims to become more difficult because basically you would just have like mass exodus and it would be hard for getting injured people and stuff to hospitals. So, just to recap, a shit ton of people got decapitated, burned, rammed into, definitely, uh, obviously a bunch of dead people, including the driver. There's a fire that was bad, that got made worse, that continued to burn for hours. Oh my god. And the race went on. So they are dealing with a fire they can't put out, trying to rescue injured people and collect the people that have died all while this race continues. And regular spectators, you know, are, I guess, watching the race, but also the horror continue to unfold in front of them. Jeez, no kidding. Um, Hawthorne won that race, by the way. Um, Wait, was he the guy that slammed on his brakes? Yes, he is. He's the catalyst. Fuck that guy. But I will say this. Uh, Pierre LeVay obviously knew that the situation was bad. He knew that he wasn't going to be able, like I said earlier, to hit his brakes or even like move or anything to 
to evade an accident. So apparently what he did is he raised his hand. Now remember, Fangio was 650 feet behind this. He raised his hand as a warning to Fangio, which ultimately, in the end, saved Fangio's life. Aww, that's nice. So. I hope that the Hawthorne guy, like, donated his prize money, at least. <laughs> right. Something. Uh... That was really tragic, and um, I am going to email you something. There is video of this crash. And no way. The way I describe it doesn't even actually really capture just how horrifying it is. Um, fair warning, there's definitely part in the video where you can see the hood. They captured the hood of the car spinning around. In frisbee form. Chopping heads off? Yes, you see Ooh. that. Oh my god. So, uh, I'm gonna send you that that video. We can take a moment if you would like to watch it. Yeah, um, do you wanna do you wanna hear me narrate my And also we will this is definitely something that we'll have to post um to our social medias. Yeah. So. I uh do you have more story after this? Yes. Okay, I was going to say this would be really funny to be like, yeah, so check it out. And then the bit afterwards would just be me going, what the fuck? <laughs> oh my gosh, that is crazy. Yep. <laughs> that uh, I have um, videos of everything I'm going to talk to you today, so that's just round one. But you saw the hood, oh right? Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Alright, so um, Gordon Smiley. So, Gordon Smiley, we're moving into more uh, familiar territory. We're 1970s, 1980s. Um, he is no small fry. Uh, he run, So, his first race was at 19. Uh, for those of you who don't know about Gordon Smiley, Smiley he's, he's from Texas. Um, he has done a lot of races. He did the SCCA Formula Ford, Formula Atlantic, Formula 1000, Can-Am, Formula 5000, Formula Super V, British Formula 1 in 1979, and he did an Indianapolis 5000 twice um, in 1980 and 1981. He actually won the um, SCCA National Chan uh, Championship Four times before uh, he went pro in 1974. So, super accomplished, um, very experienced driver. In 1982, he was 33 years old. Um, and this was May 15th. He goes to Indianapolis to qualify for Indianapolis 500. So, qualifying races are a little bit different from the actual races. What's crazy about this specific qualification is that there were um, a lot of people actually setting record speeds during this qualification. So Kevin Kogan and Rick Mears both set single lap and four lap records. Um, so 200 miles per hour was sort of like... Like, the considered top speed, these guys were hitting, like, 203, 206, which doesn't seem like a record speed, like, what's six miles over, but it's a big deal. So, yeah. of course, Gordon Smiley is like, I'm going to break 200 miles per hour 
or die trying. So he was on his practice lap. Um, so practice laps are typically used to like warm up tires and this type of stuff. So he's on his second practice lap. On the uh, the Indianapolis uh, track that he's on, it's about 2.5 miles. It's an oval shape. And he is at the northeast corner of the track. Um, the rear of his car starts to veer right a little bit. Um, now somebody had told Smiley, hey, if you veer, don't try to correct. Like, yeah. it's advice on that, like, in these corners not to try to correct if you veer. Um, Smiley, when he started to veer right, attempted to correct by steering right. And what ended up happening, uh, his car actually ended up going cross, like, it twists across the track and it twisted a little bit to the right uh and he ran right into the wall going 200 and 200 miles per hour the car went into the air the chases itself just completely disintegrated which caused what do you think it caused uh, an explosion it caused an explosion because the fuel tank exploded um the debris uh and Gordon Smiley uh, hit the catch fencing. Um, so I don't, again, not really familiar with who all is listening and their knowledge of race car driving, but there is fencing around the track that's meant to catch things like debris and protect spectators from stuff coming off the track, as well as offer some protection, of course, to the drivers and the side kind of thing. Very different from you know, Pierre LeVay's situation where there's no fencing and car just flies into people. Um, yeah, but still. So it, it flies into the catch fencing and it hits it at such a velocity that it's, it just, like, throws Smiley and the debris, the several pieces of car, like, across the track again. Uh, again, three large pieces of car. There's just, like cars seem to break up in the three pieces um and uh you know just kind of like scattered across the track gordon smiley died instantly from massive head injuries the doctor on site um described seeing like this oily gray stuff they thought was just like oil spatter upon going up to the car and he realized that uh it actually wasn't oil, but brain matter scattered across the track. Oh my god. What happened was that part, like, Gordon's helmet and part of his skull ended up detached from his body. Um, they described it as a scalping. Like, just part of his skull is just off, and that caused his brain to scatter everywhere. Um, it took them 3.5 hours to clean up all the debris and everything. And Barbara Smiley, his wife, was waiting at the pit during the accident and, of course, witnessed the whole thing. Oh, man. And then the last uh, situation I'm going to talk about is uh, probably going to be an obvious story. Uh, I was 15 uh, when this happened, and I was also watching the race and watch the story unfold, so I'm going to tell you most of this is coming from memory, but of course, I have sources and video of this. 
um, Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt actually, um, there was a, he really championed a lot of car safety and actually was heard talking to one of his pit people about how if, quote, they don't do something about these cars, they're going to end up killing somebody during this same race I'm about to talk about. And on top of that, he had several times raised criticism about NASCAR policy and NASCAR safety regulation. So there's no spoiler here. I think Dell Earnhardt at this point is a enough of a household name. February of 2001, Dale Earnhardt was 49 years old. He was competing in the 2001 Daytona 500. Um, this was part of the 2001 NASCAR Winston Cup Series. Um, for those of you who didn't watch, Jeff Gordon won. Um, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kyle Petty, <laughs> um, Ken Schrader. Uh, these are all like household names at the time. These are like, uh, you know race car driving A-listers again. A lot of people, if you are racing fans, these names are going to be 100% familiar to you, but uh, need a sip of water. I mean, I just grew up in the sticks, and they're pretty familiar to me, and I wasn't even ever <laughs> a racing watcher or fan. I mean, you have Rusty Wallace, actually. So Rusty Wallace, um, Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Ken Schrader, um, Sterling Martin were all in this race. Uh, and for, for this one that I'm about to talk about, like, Del Earnhardt is like North Carolina pride and joy, Earnhardt family, you know, just, yeah. like, like, you know, it didn't matter if you were born in North Carolina or lived in North Carolina, like, you already had some honorary ownership over the Earnhardt name, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, so, we are Daytona 500. 2001, this is the final lap, and we're at turn four. Dale Earnhardt Sr. makes light contact with Sterling Marlin's car, and it ends up sliding off course. Now, while he's sliding off course, he tries to regain control, but in the process, he ends up crossing into, uh, basically, Ken Schrader's line. They collide, and that collision ends up pushing the cards up the track, and Earnhardt hits the retaining wall at anywhere between 155 to 160 miles per hour. And then the two cars end up sliding into the grass field. And if you watch the video, you can see, like, Schrader's car. It just looks like it's just keeps pushing the car into the grass. And huh. Schrader climbs out, uh, climbs out, he's just, like, has really minor injury, but what you see him doing is waving immediately for the medical team after, like, peeking into Dale Earnhardt's car. Now, the race is going on, and, you know, there's a red flag, they're clearing out the accident and everything. Uh, because they're on the field, nobody has to avoid the accident. And Michael Waltrip ends up in first place. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Dale Earnhardt's son, gets second place, and Rusty Wallace comes in third place. Dylan Hurt Jr. doesn't find out really what happened to his dad after he finishes the race, so he has to keep going through this race. Oh, jeez. At 516 at the Halifax Medical Center, they declare Dale Earnhardt dead, cause of death, blunt force, tra blunt force trauma, of course, to the head. Now, when I send you these last two videos, like, 
you, you saw the Pierre Levey, like, that is obviously deadly. There is no way anyone survived that. When you see the Gordon Smiley accident, it's going to be clear as well. But Dale Earnhardt's accident doesn't look obviously deadly. But what made it deadly was the type of retaining wall that he hit into. Some of the safety features of the cars um, compounded with the angle in which he hit the retaining wall and the speed in which he hit the retaining wall. Because of the angle and like these retaining walls are, you know, fucking concrete or whatever, he, his body, body basically uh, went through the force equivalent of falling from a six-story building. Ken Schrader actually didn't really make any comments about what he saw when he checked on Dale Earnhardt immediately. It wasn't until, I think it was like 10 years after the fact, when people were recognizing the anniversary of his death, that he said to, um, I forget where he said it, but he had said, you know, as he looked in, he was like, I knew he was dead. Oh my so, gosh. when you watch the video and you see him frac- frantically like waving for the medical team yeah. you know what he's thinking you know what he saw as a consequence of dale earnhardt's death um several safety measures were put into place uh including the six point safety harness there are head and neck restraint devices required for race race cars uh safer barriers which is all capitalized s-a-f-e-r barriers were put in place of the previous barriers. Um, these are actually soft foam walls that, in impact, they dissipate the energy, so that reduces the force transfer that drivers experience. Yeah, they kind of absorb it and disperse it instead of just being a hard surface. Yes. And then um, the Car of Tomorrow, of course, came out of this, but that's like old news. Falling Car of Tomorrow, Gen- the Gen 6 design came out in 2013. 2013, etc., etc. For those of you who want to know more about that, please do research on your own because that's just like a whole bunch of mechanical explanations I am not going to have today. What's important to note here is that something very eerie happened in 2020, reminiscent of the Dale Earnhardt accident, and that was at um, a race where Ryan Newman came in contact with, guess who? Ken Schrader's car. Ken Schrader. Yep. And ended up, like, it was just, his car was, like, demolished and it rolled, like, four times. This was also during the last lap at the Daytona 500. And he walked out perfectly fine. He did sustain some injuries, but he survived the accident, which does show that those changes um, to the safety uh, requirements at NASCAR did really reduce, um, you know, the amount of fatalities during race car driving. I didn't know that Dale Earnhardt had died during a race. Like, I knew that he died young, but I didn't know that's how he died. Ugh, man. Yep. I I watched that race. I also and then it was hard because then it was like, well, I guess I got to root for Jeff Gordon now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's also sad because, as you said, he was a big uh, proponent of safety. And so to have someone essentially become a martyr for their cause is ironic in a bad way. 
So now I'm going to send you the Gordon Smiley video. But anyways, driving on a regular road is scary. And uh, being a race car driver is scary. And being a spectator at a <laughs> racing event can also be very scary. Yeah, this feels like that uh, uh, in A Christmas Story when she's like, you can't have a rifle, you'll shoot your eye out. And then he does. It's like, now I'm like, you can't go to car races, you'll get your head chopped off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, on that note, I want everyone to drive safe and goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. <laughs>